Welcome to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. My name is Stephanie Pavlantos, and I am your host. So today I have Tracy Rhodes. She is a writer and Bible teacher who lives with her family outside of Grand Rapids, Michigan. She is the author of the award-winning Not All Who Wonder Spiritually Are Lost, as well as Shaky Ground, What to Do After the Bottom Drops Out. They are written for Christians and the spiritually curious who wonder how a life built on Christ's solid ground can make a real difference in our lives and in our communities and churches. So welcome today. I appreciate you being here. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here. I look forward to our conversation. Thank you. So what can you want to tell our audience? Anything about yourself? Um, how'd you come to be so interested in um, the church as we know it? You know, like you kind of spanned even through from the Catholic church, the Protestant church, and and I guess even a little into Judaism or or the, the roots that started way back then. So how did you get interested in all of that? Well, how long do you have? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I will start by saying um, I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition, and it, by and large, it was all I really knew. Um, there was a Methodist church up the road for me that I would visit, but I could not have told you how the two were different. Um, my best friend in high school was Catholic, and I just kind of let her do her Catholic thing. And I did my Southern Baptist thing and we were just friends. You know, it's not like something that we talked about and asked why or compared notes or anything. Um, but I was the child in Sunday school who was always quick to answer the questions and always had my hands up um, to ask more questions, loved from a very early age scripture. And so as I um, kind of went through my teenage years into college into my young adult years, God slowly began introducing me to these different types of Christianity, um, eventually to, yes, the, the study of the Old Testament, perhaps as a Jewish person would see it. All of these things, just over a long period of time, probably over 20 years worth of um, life experiences. I spent my young adult years before I got married in St. Louis. And I, I tell a story in the first book about going to a train station for work. We were getting ready to go to like a public meeting. And there was a gentleman there who had ash on his forehead. And I jokingly say in the book, I didn't know if he like tended the fireplace that morning and some of it rubbed off on him and he didn't know it. Like, said somebody tell this guy he has ash on his forehead? Well, and I laugh because um, we actually just observed Ash Wednesday for those Christians who um, have that as part of their spiritual practice. And I learned for the first time, oh, there's a Christian spiritual practice or day of um, the church calendar called Ash Wednesday and what that was all about. So I just kept stumbling into these different things because of life, because of the people that I would befriend or work with. And then in 2014, I began writing online. Um, my blog is tracesoffaith.com. And it's kind of a play on my name, but also the concept of tracing our Christian faith in, in everyday life, 
um, in our reading, in our um, the world around us. And so it kind of left me open to be able to explore that through my writing. And as a blogger, um, you, you know as well, you began reading a ton more, um, doing your own research. Uh, you write your way into more and more questions and ideas and um, meeting people along the way still. And so it just opened up the floodgates um, of this uh, fascination with the fact that church was about so much more than this small conservative denomination that I grew up in. And I began to realize, uh, here's just one of many, many examples. Catholics don't actually worship Mary. They venerate her and they consider her completely worthy of adoration because she's the only human to ever carry God in her womb. And so that is then something that I need to think through. Okay, if it's not worship, what's the word venerate even mean? So I'd have to go look it up. And then I would read um, other blog posts or other books about from actual Catholics who explained what that looks like and how that's a little different than I understood it. And I just realized that there's a lot more complexity to Christianity mm -hmm. than I knew. Um, church history and our relationship with Judaism has so much significance in what we talk about and the assumptions that we make today. And so it just has begun what I more than likely will have as a lifelong pursuit of trying to understand um, where where we came from and how I can be more Christ-like in my um, approach with these different neighbors, right? These individuals right. that were called to, uh, to, to love. Um, mm -hmm. And what, what does that look like for me? A huge part of that has been attempting to better understand. Mm. Um, and, and that's kind of my, my starting place moving forward. That's really interesting. Cause I mean, mm. I saw your stuff coming out long ago. I mean, before your first book, I mean, I was probably friends with you over social media and, and I started seeing even playing out the fascination, so to speak, in my term, that's mm -hmm. my term, maybe not yours, but the way it appeared to me, this fascination you had with church in general, whatever denomination, whatever, how did they get to this point? And when you think about that, we have probably I, the last number I heard was around 80,000 denominations. And you think, how did all these get started? <laughs> you know, how did we go? So from one place in the Bible, you know, and I don't want to say one place, but of course, when we talk about the New Testament and the verses that we talk about building this gathering of people, whether you want to call it church or whether you want to call it assembly, a congregation, it's this gathering of people that had already begun 2000 years prior to that in a little piece of real estate in the Middle East. You know, I mean, how did all that, how did what we have now come from such a small beginning in a sense, 
even though on some levels it was a huge beginning. But um, it's very interesting. I think it's just very interesting. I remember at the time just thinking, oh, I don't know if I could handle all that <laughs> that history and all the different avenues that you could go yeah. because I have a hard enough time just <laughs> I hear staying you. with what yes. I'm trying to learn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. In, but you brought up two cool things. Well, I brought, I already said one of them about the many denominations, but you talked about Mary. And I think it's very interesting because we do. I often was even told that, you know, they worship Mary. Yeah. But I think if we really go and look at that, it goes back to the Bible. It goes back to the Old Testament that even in Genesis, when it talks about this the women knew exactly had this understanding that the Messiah would come through a woman's seed, a mm. woman's womb. Yeah. And they all wanted to be that woman. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting because then what, but, but there were only like really a handful of men and women that were mentioned in scripture as that were described as, a highly favored person. Mm-hmm. And Daniel was one of them. John was one of them. Mary was one of them. I mean, those are the three off the top of my head. And I think even maybe Gideon and, um, but of course Moses, um, but he, but an angel didn't come to him like that. God himself came to Moses, but it's very interesting because when you start understanding that there was this favor on her, to become the mother of the Messiah, you know, and then just to see her life through the New Testament to the death of her son and imagine everything she went through. And then to imagine just like the Christmas song, Mary, did you know? I mean, that's such a powerful song because did she know, you know, did she, what did she understand? And about with human this? capacity, how much can we understand you know, exactly. um, I mean, gosh, we're, we're still, yeah. Unpacking exactly what that meant for Mary. So yeah, the, the, the song, like you said, is, um, is well-spoken because, mm-hmm. you know, we're still dealing with a finite mind. So right. yeah, I think more than anything, this journey that I've been on has given me permission to explore those things, you know, it's super popular now to say, you know, if if you were to write a letter to yourself 20 years ago, what what would you say? And I think being on this journey, I would say to that, that, you know, diehard Bible loving Christian woman 20 years ago, there's not as much to fear as mm. you think. It, it's okay if things are complex and it's okay if you lean more into the mystery of God. It doesn't mean um, that you're a heathen or that you're going to lose your Christianity. Whatever it was I thought I should be afraid of. Um, it, it just means there's so much out there. Such, mm. yeah, such a wonderful journey. Mm-hmm. It is a journey. And I've often, even mm-hmm. in my own writings, asked people, you know, are you sprinting or is it a marathon? Because boy, I mean, we want to sprint at first, but then we mature, we start calming down. You think of children, you think of a puppy, 
full of energy in the beginning, but then as they grow older, you know, we start calming down and just, and I think that's what maturity is. It's just, let's, let's think deeper. Let's go deeper. And, and I mean, and you and I, even off camera, I mean, we, we were having conversations about history and it's a fascinating talk to me that I probably wouldn't have been interested in 20 years ago. Sure. I wouldn't have been interested sure. in church history. Me neither. Like I am Me now. neither. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it is, it's much yeah. more interesting to mm-hmm. me now, but go ahead. No, I, I was just certainly in agreement with you at also off air. We've talked a lot about um, the Greek Orthodox tradition and Orthodox Christians in general. Um, and I, again, jokingly, but truthfully say, I didn't know they existed until my thirties. Like I grew up in a small town in the Midwest. And I, I think I did look up out of curiosity, how close the nearest Orthodox church was to my hometown. And it was over an hour Mm. and nowhere that I frequently, um, a city I did not frequently go to. So it would make sense. I didn't know about them until my big fat Greek wedding. (laughs) <laughs> came out. And then I was like, I probably, I, I don't even know if I made the connection then, but now they've taught me so much about worship and about, um, uh, there's, there's a whole side of Christianity that isn't Western Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they're a gift too. And, and help me understand the mystery. Mm-hmm. You're right. And I, and you know, and I didn't appreciate it. My husband and I were, and let me back up here, but people who listen to this podcast any more than one or two times have already heard I'm married to a Greek man. So my listeners probably know that more than they want to, to hear about it. And so, but it's interesting because when I first started going, you know, we were married though in my church in um so very you know very conservative type of um what was it christian missionary alliance at the time so it was very different but my husband was already going to a non-orthodox church at this point he was already um there were many things about the orthodox that he realized were were not giving him as much as he needed let's put it that way as it's spiritually the freedom he needed, the the redemption he needed. But at the same time, he holds to, he loves some of the traditions that were associated with the Greek Orthodox. But, mm-hmm. but one of the things I've learned recently from both rabbis and other people within more of an Orthodox type of church, that it's scripture and our relationship was meant to be, engage our five senses Mm. the sense of smell obviously sight feel hearing and that's what the orthodox and and probably the catholic churches do best Mm -hmm. they engage all of your senses in a service and we've lost that in the christian church but that was also a very jewish thing to engage all the senses Mm -hmm. and so and even I had a guest, I have a guest coming up um, in the podcast who 
she actually says that when the rabbi comes in to teach the little ones, and we're talking five-year-olds, about the Torah, that mm. he pours honey out on a big oh, pan so and cool. has them come and taste the honey and say, this is what it's like reading God's Torah. This is what it's like learning about. And the would Bible. you ever forget that? No, no, no. So, And cool. it's a beautiful little you know for five-year-olds it's it's a beautiful way to introduce them to the sweetness of god's word yeah and i do think um to your point some churches do this much better than others i read a book um i would butcher her name so i won't say it but it's called um this child of mine and it is about a woman who did not grow up in the church and once she became a mother, like many of us realized, I need to, I need to examine this religion thing. Like what, what faith do I want to give my child? And as it turned out, they actually, he, her young child attended the school, um, I'm blanking on the name where there was a shooting stormy, um, you know, like six, six, seven years ago, uh, we'll have to include this in the show notes. But anyway, after that experience, she really knew how important it was to, to teach her child about faith and about, um, how God saw these, um, type of horrific events. And she, um, started attending with him an Episcopalian church and they became very involved. Um, he was able to do a lot of things in the actual Sunday services. Um, and as I was reading it, I just thought, I love how they are engaging, not just the five senses, but also from a very young age Mm -hmm. and, yeah, the, the tangible faith that she is handing this child, that wasn't, wasn't exactly my experience. And and it's not to say that, you know, I, I'm always so careful. I, I love my heritage. I love the Christian heritage that I've been given. I just think as a cat, if a person is a Catholic, if a person is an Orthodox, if a person is a Southern Baptist, we can always do better. We mm-hmm. can learn from one another and pull those pieces together to, you know, I, I'm a Bible study teacher too. And the amount of individuals who have come to my Bible study who grew up Catholic and didn't own a Bible mm. or grew up Catholic and said, I could have, I had mass memorized, but I didn't know that we we're reciting scripture mm. <laughs> in mass. And I do not say that to critique the Catholic right. church because we can all choose whatever we want and critique it all day. I'm just saying, let's learn from one another and do better. Because once I understand the bits and pieces of mass and already kind of knew what scripture they came from, because I knew scripture better than I knew the details of mass, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it is engaging the senses. And right. it, and they are prayers that just like the Psalms, can come to mind again and again, because we've placed them deep, deep in our minds and in our heart. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's, there's such good to be found at the roots of what faith we have um, inherited. Mm. If we take the time and the effort to, um, to dig. 
You're right. And I know that like in Acts 2, or maybe it was Acts 3, but it's when they started these small groups that we later call the church, but they started these house churches and this house gatherings. And they were, it, it talks about that they were taught the things, they were taught different things. And one of the things that was said, and most people will say they were taught to pray, but it actually says they were taught the prayers. So what the Jewish people were doing is they were passing along these prayers that were so beautiful and so essential to Judaism and prayers to God. And they were passing them on to this, these Gentiles and teaching them these prayers because they actually you know just like other faiths they have a prayer book of prayers that they pray for wine prayers that they pray over bread prayers that they pray for a new house you know a new anything over a child over a family over spiritual warfare i mean they have certain prayers and these were the prayers they were passing down and teaching the the next generation of believers and we often don't see it that way because we often just say they were teaching them to pray. I've heard it said that way more than once. And I always think, no, no, they were teaching them the, their own prayers that they had prayed for generations. And and we have the same kinds of things that we even now. I mean, not every tradition is good and not every tradition is bad. There, there are good and bad ones that we pass down. But it's it's going back for me. It's going back to the truth. Where's the truth in all of this? Where did it begin? And why did it begin as a tradition? You know, what's what's behind that tradition? And and going back to my husband, there were many things in his orthodox that I saw his parents, his sisters, his brother, you know, these things that they did. And even the cross had three points for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, they crossed themselves three times for the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Back in the early days of the church, you were baptized three times for the Father, then the Son, then Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit. Everything was done in threes like that. That's a good tradition. But in some ways, we have forgotten that tradition. And we don't, it doesn't apply anymore. But also even things like praying for the dead, because they believe that they weren't a Hebrew tradition is they weren't really dead until they had been dead three or more days. Even on the fourth day, they were considered dead. So you could pray for them up until that point. And that's why some of the stories have significance about why, you know, I think Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And they're like, oh, no, but he's really dead now. You know, (laughs) you're too late, Jesus. Yes. Yeah. And so but but that is how the Greek Orthodox believe. You know, I remember like you the first time when my father died, we were working. My husband and I were working in the family business, family restaurant. And somebody said to me, I'll be praying for your dad. I looked at, you know, I'm just like, what do you, did, did you not hear me? He's dead. He died. He died. That's why we were gone. And so I had to go ask my husband. I'm like, why is he praying for my dad who died over a week ago? It was just a wake up call in a sense of understanding 
that tradition and where that came from. Yeah. So very interesting. From there, you could um, consider purgatory Mm. and what Western Christianity developed in their thought process Mm -hmm. and what um, apocryphal books point Mm. to that. And like I say, what... You know, so much of it points back, I guess, to um, maybe as a society, we're not the critical thinkers that we we used to be or should be or, um, you know, we are. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because we just blindly hear, well, of course, purgatory is not real. That's not that's not in the Bible. And, you know, everybody knows that when you're dead, you're dead. Well, Abraham's bosom historically. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, a wonderful case in point. So very neat though. Um, so some of the conversations we were thinking about talking about too, were the faith traditions that God intended us to share. And those that maybe were strictly Jewish. Um, so these are all just questions we were pondering. What's strictly Jewish? What was more traditions of the church, I guess. And then can we become so religious? And so I think you use the word just even Protestant and going Mm -hmm. towards these, our Christian denominations that we get further from our Jewish roots. And I think that I, when I looked at the things that we were going to talk about, I realized how they could intersect because when we go back to the maybe the traditions God wanted us to share, they kind of get watered down as we move into making our own traditions that get away from Old Testament, get away from New Testament type of thing. So it's very yeah. interesting questions. But what is your opinion on that? Is What kind of things do you see? in the Bible that maybe God intended us to share and then maybe what you feel is strictly Jewish. Was it two weeks ago that we, we spoke a little Mm bit um, to kind of hash out what we might Mm -hmm. talk about. And so for two weeks, I've been thinking about (laughs) that. That was part, um, that was probably the biggest thing Mm -hmm. I kept turning over in my mind, um, which is again, very much a part of this journey. Mm -hmm. Um, It it used to be that I would need an answer. And now I just know uh, much to, um, from what I've learned uh, in studying Judaism, the exercise is actually, where can I find God in this? Mm -hmm. And how has he moved within this thought process? Um, Maybe I'll never, I, I probably won't land exactly um, on an answer. So <laughs> I, I will um, preface it by saying that, but um, I, I'll give you what came to my mind um, specifically. One of the things that came to mind is um, we have to determine, and maybe it's not black and white. Maybe there's not hard, fast rules. What festivals and feasts in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, I'm sorry, in the Hebrew scriptures are cultural versus religious. Mm. And I say that because um, if we take the very typical example of Passover, 
there are Jewish individuals who would say that is Jewish by culture. That is a sacred meal that describes our Jewish heritage, not just our spiritual heritage, but our cultural Mm -hmm. heritage. Um, And and so I don't know that we're all going to agree Mm -hmm. on um, which it is. Um, The other piece that came to mind, a second thing is I read a, a few verses that talk about one was from Hebrews. I did take some notes. Um, the other in Colossians, and it talks about Christ fulfilling um, these these feasts and these different mm-hmm. um, calendar observances, and those things now becoming a shadow. I thought that was an interesting word, a shadow of what we now have mm-hmm. in Christ. Mm-hmm. And so again, if you go to um, more, I'm not even sure what the word is. If you go to a more um, ancient oriented Christian tradition, such as the Orthodox or the Catholic, they would, they did argue because I looked it up on Google, (laughs) they would make the argument that Passover is now Eucharist Mm -hmm. and mass is now the fulfillment of these different um, festivals such as Yom Kippur. And so that, um, that would be their stance. Again, we could probably discuss it all day and not necessarily find right or wrong. And so this morning, as I was preparing the notes and after two weeks of thinking, (laughs) I came across the verse in first Corinthians, and it's talking about, um, eating the meat from sacrificed idols and and whether or not that should be done. And it's a common verse, um, that that your readers are probably familiar with. It's first Corinthians 8, 13. Therefore, if food be the downfall of a fellow Christian, I will never eat meat again, for I will not be the cause of a fellow Christian's downfall. And how I understand um, that verse, verses like it, are um, don't cause divisions, live at peace with everyone as much as is able. You know, I'm I'm pulling different pieces of Bible verses, even as I think. Um, And so personally, if you were to ask me, Tracy, would you host a um purim purim um event in your home my answer would be no not because i don't have the freedom to do so and not because it's not part of my religious heritage but because i'm at a place where i think it would be healthier to partner with a person of Jewish faith and say, could I come Mm -hmm. to your um, service? Could I learn more about this holiday from your perspective? Um, But, but I can't say that somebody who lands differently on that topic would be wrong 
because I think we have a lot of freedom in Christ and we don't know our roots mm-hmm. or our heritage well enough. Um, they add such dimension and beauty to our faith walk, but boy, it can offend mm-hmm. a lot of our Jewish um, neighbors mm-hmm. if we do these things or if we do them um I, I think the key and the thing that happens, um, again, I'm thinking of Passover, is that we take a sacred meal, which is how they consider it, a Seder, and we make it all about Jesus. And it is, it is. for Christian. Yeah, he was the Passover lamb. They just, and the Messianics, that's how they, that's how they do it. It's all about Jesus, but. Right. But how do you do it seated across from a Jewish believer? And so thank you for having me think, because that's not easy. That is not an easy thought exercise. And we live in a society that is so easily offended, (laughs) you know? And so if you're not careful, you can constantly second guess everything you do. Mm -hmm. When all I really want to do is learn about the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And you're right. You're Um, right. And, and, and that you brought up some really, really good points because the first thing you said that I really loved is where can I find God in this? And I I wrote that down because I wanted to make sure, because I think that, you know, like you said, we do communion because communion was part of the Seder. It was right Mm -hmm. there in the middle of a Passover meal was what we call communion. He broke the bread. They mm-hmm. pass it out and then they drink the wine, you know, they, and, and, and so, yes, that is how the church as a whole remembers Passover. And so, but I also had a friend of mine uh, who is a rabbi and he is, a, um, <clears throat> he's a messianic rabbi, but still keeps the, he still keeps food laws. He still keeps Shabbat, mm-hmm. um, which I'm learning more about and, and, and actually leaning more that way for different reasons. But, but he was invited to a church and that church, when they found out that he kept food laws, basically reneged on the whole thing and said, no, we're not going to mm. do this. Now he was only being brought in for the actual Seder meal. But I thought it was interesting because they were uncomfortable with his keeping of the food dietary laws. So they they basically ended the whole thing. So, I mean, you're right. It goes back on both sides, you know, on either side. We can be offended by something. Um, and I even think of what you said about stumbling, you know, what I eat, what I drink, what I what I celebrate, you know, doesn't have to be a cause of stumbling causing somebody else to stumble, I should say. But, you know, I think of a family member who is an alcoholic, you know, and, you know, I wouldn't drink. I wouldn't drink around. I, I don't really don't drink, but let me just say, I wouldn't serve it. Yeah, if I get what you're was saying. There. Yep. And yep. in an old church group that I was part of once, we did have a recovering alcoholic and the pastor and his wife were uh, basically Italian. So they, drink wine with meals <laughs> and but when he was around if we had yeah. a group thing there was no wine because they respected where he was you know they were free to drink it because they weren't alcoholics 
but he was not. And so they respected that. And so there is that, you know, respect. I mean, I wouldn't serve, I wouldn't serve pork to a guest coming over my house who didn't eat it. It was obviously, you know, but I wouldn't also serve fish to somebody who was allergic to it. You know, I also wouldn't serve gluten to somebody who couldn't eat it. No, I was, it's funny that you mentioned the gluten-free because I was thinking the same thing because every now and then I, I do have a couple of friends who are gluten-free and every now and then, you know, they'll say, oh, I was at somebody's house and they're like, oh, here, eat these biscuits. And they're like, I'm gluten-free. I'm allergic to gluten. And they're like, oh, well, there's not much in it. You know, it's like, we, we have to have it our way. And so that's why, you know, that, that verse is very, um, it assumes a very humble posture. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, is very case specific. Um, and, and I'm curious, uh, just because Stephanie, I know you've um, you've delved into the um, specifically um, Messianic Judaism, Jewish. I don't know if they use Ju- the Messianic version of Judaism more than I have. Have you ever come across a Messianic Jew dialoguing with a Jewish? person. Um, Because many, I'll be honest, many of the Jewish people I know, and they're only from social media, unfortunately, I do not have a real friend in real life, Jewish friend. (laughs) Um, So sad. But um, the friends that I have online hardly will even acknowledge that Messianic Judaism could be a legitimate faith. So have you come across that? At all, I guess in a sense, like you, I probably I know messianics, and so I know the relationship that they have maybe had with a non, you know, maybe an Orthodox Jew. I guess is the best way to put it. What I am also amazed at, while you have the ultra Orthodox who are unwilling to associate with anyone who who might worship Jesus, the Messiah, as we know. Um, but you have, there are more and more, more Orthodox Jewish people wanting to reach out to Christians who, who -hmm. they know are Jesus believers and share with them. And I think this is just amazing, but share with them. This is Shabbat in the way that we do it. This is the way we understand scripture. And we want to teach you what we know. And then my son went to Israel with a group called Passages. And the the founder and the leader over Passages is an Orthodox Jewish woman who combines her ministry with Christians and in teaching the Christians the Jewish roots of their faith and the way that they understand it. So Matthew, when he was in Israel, saw the Orthodox, and then he saw the Christian side of things. And he loved the trip. It was a beautiful experience to him to be able to do that. So I guess in some ways, I see it more the Orthodox reaching out to the Christians rather than the Messianics, because the Messianics actually feel like they're in this middle space They're between being a Christian over here and being a Jew over here. You know, some of them are very, very Jewish in their beliefs and in their faith. You know, they study Torah. They 
they go back to the Mishnah, they go mm-hmm. back to the Talmud, they go back. And, and those books are very much a part of their life. And I was thinking about this this morning. It's as if we would say in our own Christian beliefs, like, we have to stop studying Strong's Concordance. You know, we can no longer have Strong's Concordance because now I go to this denomination or that denomination and we don't accept that. You know, books like that, some of them, even the Matthew Henry commentary, as old as it is, and some others before that, we wouldn't put those aside because... Like we have the apocryphal books. Yes. <laughs> in in our own right. tradition. Yes. Yeah. No, it's, it's a very good point. But, but we expect them to get rid of the books from 2000 years before we were ever like the church was even like on yeah. the map, <laughs> you know? So, so I think it's, it's respecting those, but you, you know, it, I guess I kind of went above and over your, your question, but yeah, you can see different sides yeah. of it and what we expect of ourselves and what we might expect of somebody else in coming from a different yeah, angle. It, it is. It's um there's some interesting dynamics there. I to add to it, I have um known a, a couple of people um in, in my community and also a friend that I would consider a friend um who's a writer who grew up Jewish um and became a Christian. And is still, again, culturally Jewish. And so she has written um, a book about um, kind of how how she defines that difference. What she observes and celebrates in her home because she is Jewish by culture, ethnically, and what she mm-hmm. um, observes because she is a, a Christian with Jewish roots. So it, you know, a great example of someone who's had to wrestle um, with that. And I'm, I'm very proud of her for not wanting to lose a part of who she was of wanting to um, in a very authentic, respectful way, integrate while realizing I can't be a hundred percent Jewish anymore. So there are, there's different, you know, and and coming at it um, in a way that's respectful. Um, I I know, you know, another buzzword that we hear nowadays is um, appropriation. You know, you don't, um, you don't want to assume. um, And and there are certain, you know, they, I, I am right now I'm helping with my daughter's um, musical theater program at school. And so we're looking at all of these different musicals to do. And it will say as a blurb um, in some of these musicals, um, please do not alter the ethnicity of a person who's going to be playing this part, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've kind of come far enough along in society that we would be like, oh, I would never, you know, I mean, that we know um, intrinsically that that, that is wrong how much are we talking about the same thing in this conversation? Mm. And I don't have a, a good answer. Um, going back to, to uh, I love the trip that your son took. Oh my word, how it sounds um, remarkable. And that's so much my heart. Um, I remember uh, it, it was a, a Jewish friend that lives in Israel. 
he's on Twitter. I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Um, and he asked the question, if you are grafted in to Judaism, if you were Abraham's seed as well, why do you treat us like you do? It, mm-hmm. And we can look historically, we can look um, today as um, anti-Semitism is ramping up um, and rearing its ugly head around the world. Um, Those are great questions to ask. And and I um, have done a little bit of reading on how from the top, from various popes, they have um, apologized for that. Mm -hmm. They have tried to correct that training. Um, but again, and I'm speaking as Tracy, I'm not speaking as, um, across the board for all Christians, but as Tracy, I would have a really hard time justifying hosting a Seder in my home without a Jewish person there. It feels like a slap Mm -hmm. in the face. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm on my own journey. I've had, um, different um i've read different things i've had different conversations than other people have um and i think mm-hmm. that's why verses like the one i read in first corinthians 8 are so helpful because at the end of the day if you're jewish or christian love the lord your god with all your heart soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself um exactly wow that takes you back to it And the Bible teaches us how to do both of those things. So whether they're in the Old Testament or we're studying it from the New Testament, the New Testament is a repeat of the Old Testament in those ways. Jesus was still pointing in those directions. Yeah. mm -hmm. Really good conversation, Mm -hmm. Stephanie. I was a little nervous about it. So (laughs) thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm glad. I, I I think it's wonderful. I mean, I love the perspective that you come from. And I think that's just the openness of being able to have a conversation about religion and relationship because you can't do one without the other. Relationships comes in all, looks all different ways, but the relationships between different denominations, different faiths, I mean, as Christians, we're called to be missionaries to the whole world to spread the gospel and it doesn't matter what they already believe in a sense it doesn't matter where they're coming from we're just be a good neighbor who's our neighbor you know it's 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 anybody i think jesus showed that yeah Yeah. so our neighbor can be across the ocean and our neighbor can be next to us and um and sometimes it's easier to treat the person across the ocean nicer than the person sure. beside us sure. <laughs> so, yes but yes. it's it's all good and i appreciate all your comments and and all your questions and your honesty and um i love that about you and i think that um i think this is just a very refreshing conversation you know because a lot of the people i have on are are very maybe more orthodox or or like i said even more um messianic in that way and so it it tends to go one way but but for people who are brought up in the church and hearing about both sides let's see the similarities let's see where we took a different path let's see talk about our history because our history goes back to the yeah. same place another interesting piece that i um 
read about in preparing for today um, talked about how, and I remember this in a Bible study from years ago, uh, that it, it was a Beth Moore study. And she said, um, you'll never find a more Jewish Christian than James. And she talked about how, um, and the articles that I read also pointed to it, individuals like Paul and Peter and James were, for lack of a better description, you can argue that it's a weird word, Jewish Christians. Um, We are not. They were were Jewish followers of the Messiah. And the Messiah, you said, if you look at history starting I, perhaps in the New Testament, but certainly by the first or second century, there were less and less of that kind of Christian. And then Constantine came along, and then we had um, people in Egypt who weren't having at all the experience that they were having in Europe with Christianity. And we bring all of that mm-hmm. together. And I don't know that you need to come up with one way to do Christianity, but you have have to and we don't do a good job of this you have to respect their differences um Mm -hmm. and that would go a long way that would go a long way and um Mm -hmm. i love it when people refer to my work as um trying to heal um, the divisions Mm -hmm. and heal the uh the brokenness in the church specifically but certainly we could extend that to um to our jewish neighbors as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely it's a good way of putting it so thank you yeah, so much very good stephanie it's really been my pleasure i i love the um the development of the conversation yeah mm-hmm. me too i can't wait for this mm-hmm. one to air yep. so thank, thank you, you very much i appreciate you having me on Thank you for listening to Grafted Jewish Roots of Christianity. You can find me at www.graftedjewishroots.com. You can also find me on Twitter at GraftedJewishRT. I appreciate you being with me, and I'll see you next time.